So I call him so hard, the employees wanna find me. And then wanna hire me. What's 100k to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Fall so hard, this ain't easy. Working late nights, you best believe me. My grades can only go ace. Never wanna see another B unless I'm Jay-Z. Fall so hard, let's get paid. Good morning or good evening to you guys, and welcome to another episode of the Farm So Hard Podcast. This is gonna be another great episode and I have one of like my man crushes on right now. I've been super excited to record this episode. And today we're going to talk about the role of ED pharmacist as part of a trauma team. And I have one of my brothers straight from Orlando, and he's going to go ahead and introduce himself. But I have the ED traumacist here, guys. So this is going to be pretty dope. So go ahead and introduce yourself for those who don't know you. All right. What's up, everyone? For those who don't know me, my name is Ruben Santiago, and I'm an emergency medicine pharmacy specialist. So a question I always ask everyone when they come onto the show is what led you into pharmacy and particularly what led you into emergency medicine pharmacy? Yeah, absolutely. So a little bit about my background. So I did my pharmacy education at Nova Southeastern University down in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And then after that, I went on to complete my PGY-1 residency at Maimonides Medical Center, shout out to Brooklyn, and my PGY-2 at The Ohio State University. Make sure you're so missing a D. That we lost, but uh, <laughs> so little stop. It's okay. So we're gonna move on from that. And um, so what led me into into pharmacy. So when I was growing up, I always wanted to help people, and I felt medicine was like the best avenue for me to do that. Um, when I went to undergrad at UCF, at University of Central Florida, I also worked in a small, super small uh, community pharmacy, and I kind of fell in love with what the pharmacist did in that med- medical clinic. So I kind of fell in love with pharmacy then. And then when I was in pharmacy school and completing my first happy rotation, I was actually in the emergency department. And I was just amazed at the work these pharmacists did at the bedside and the role they had with the medical team. So when I saw this happening and saw these like amazing interactions with nurses, physicians, as well as with patients, I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want to do with the rest of my life. Absolutely, man. I think it's something that they say you just know, you know, they say, hey, when you, when you meet your love of your life, you know, and when you, when you meet ED pharmacists, you, def, you definitely know. Different breed, man. I love it. <laughs> it's like you get in there, it's like, whoa, these people are like pretty chill. And we see this different stuff every day. And I, I'm never bored. And like, this is pretty dope. So I think I want to do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. All right, man. So I know a lot of people want to hear you talk about trauma. You know, you're, you're, you're the person that any ED pharmacist or just pharmacists in general want to hear talk about trauma. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. But before, let's kind of give a little background. Can you discuss the team members that are involved in trauma resuscitation? For sure. So there's a lot of key members actually to the trauma team, which includes your nurses, your respiratory techs, your ED physicians, your trauma surgeons, anesthesiologists, your x-ray techs, and of course, pharmacists as well. So a lot of people who don't necessarily train at a trauma center or do the rotations at one, can you briefly just let the audience know what is a trauma center and particularly what makes them unique? For sure. So trauma centers are centers that are equipped to treat like the most critical of patients who suffer from traumatic injury. So it includes like your blood trauma patients, such as your falls, either fall from standing or fall from like one or two stories out of a building and also your motor vehicle crashes, as well as like your penetrating trauma. So these are like more your gun and knife club type of members. So people suffering from gunshot wounds, stab wounds, or any kind of other penetrating injury. 
the, what the trauma centers do, they're usually designated by level. So you'll have like your level one trauma center and your level two and so on. And they're defined based on the resources available for them and the number of patients they treat annually. Absolutely. And down at my shop back in Atlanta, man, I, I get to see a lot of penetrating trauma. So I know oh, it's gonna sure. be, <laughs> that's going to be interesting. So we kind of talked about who's involved in what a trauma center is. But what advice do you have for pharmacists that are responding to traumas in regarding to like certain training or certifications? Can you kind of elaborate on that? So one big piece of advice I have for pharmacists starting out is hands-on training is your best friend for these patients. So I had the opportunity to complete a residency in emergency medicine, and that got me acquainted with the beautiful area that is the trauma bay, right? But my practice has evolved and still continues to evolve to this day, depending on uh, what type of treatment's out and what are we doing with these patients. So you want to be able to anticipate your team's needs for trauma patients is one key thing. And you just have to know the layout of the land, basically. You have to know what's in your trauma base. So know what medications you have stored, what medications are immediately available, and which medications you need to expedite from your central pharmacy. So you also have to know also where your supplies are stored, such as your needles and IV pumps, IV tubing. So we can bring all the medications to the bay, but if we can't get it to the patient, then we're kind of doing it for nothing at that point. So you want to be able to, all right, here's my pump, here's my IV tubing. And then know where your code cards are, know where all your life-saving equipment is as well. So it's a lot of terminology that's going to go in trauma resuscitation. And it's something that I'm particularly fond of because every center I go to, I'm fortunate to work at two different trauma centers. And no matter where I go, terminology that's going to be similar, like your primary survey, your secondary survey. Can you briefly right, give right. the audience, uh, what is a, a primary survey? For sure. So your primary and secondary surveys come from ATLS or Advanced Trauma Life Support. And there it's a systematic way of breaking down the patient so nothing is missed when your patient arrives to the trauma center. So the primary survey is as simple as A, B, C, D, E. And then for me, I always think about, or how I teach this is I always think about what medications are associated with the components of the primary survey. So you have A for airway, B for breathing, C for circulation, D for disability, and E for exposure. So some things are obvious, right? A for area, I'm going to start thinking RSI or rapid sequence intubation. So knowing uh, the medications that are available to you, knowing the kinetics of your induction agent and paralytic agents, including their onset and duration of action, extremely important for the trauma bay, and know which medications are indicated and also knowing which are contraindicated for your trauma patient. For breathing, what I assess for and look for if the patient or if the team actually is going to prepare to put in a chest tube for the patient if they're suspecting pneumothorax. So if we hear that they don't hear bilateral breath sounds or something like that coming for your trauma, be prepared to have some like lidocaine for local anesthesia or possibly some IV systemic analgesia for patient comfort if they're going to go ahead and put in the chest tube at that point. For C, for circulation, start thinking about blood product replacement. So any patient in the trauma bay who is hypotensive and tachycardic um, is in hemorrhagic shock until proven otherwise. So these patients are going to get blood. So get ready depending on how much blood they get for calcium replacement. And if your patient is still hypotensive, they're just going to get more blood and more blood. For patients that present early, some centers might use tranexamic acid early. And if your patient's on anticoagulation, starting about reversal strategies during C for circulation at this point. For disability, I'm thinking some kind of traumatic brain injury. And if present, I'm going for like hypertonic saline or mannitol. We generally prefer 3% as it doesn't affect the hemodynamics. It's easy. Easier to get ready for me versus mannitol. 
finally for E or exposure, I'm thinking antibiotics for this point. So open fractures, where the fracture is, and of course, the life-saving Tdap. Absolutely. You got you to gotta have that Tdap ready at all times. Every day. Every <laughs> I feel day. like you have like your little your little kit. You go to a trauma, you know what you're going to get. And it's like, I have my fitness ready. I have my hand stuff ready. I have right. the Tdap ready to go. Trauma looks over. I love just having the, the meds just waiting for them. <laughs> they just look over like, yeah. oh, I need, like, you need this, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The a- anticipation is absolutely key in these situations. Yeah. It's pretty dope. Just to, again, as we talked about, like, I'm hoping that I can go to your shop and go to a trauma and just the terminology is going to be the same. And I just really love how ATLS kind of put it together. Um, they definitely need to kind of hook us up and get us on board for we can actually do more than just audit the class and just let us get certified. Oh, for sure. It's a different topic for a different day. So, all right, now we're done with the primary survey and somebody's going to say, okay, let's go into the secondary. What the heck is a, a secondary survey? And what are some things you're going to be looking forward to when you're involving yourself within a secondary survey? Oh, for sure. So a secondary survey, you want to get an ample secondary survey. The keyword or mnemonic is ample there. So you have A for allergies, M for medication history, P for past illness or pregnancy, L for their last meal, and E for events or environment related to the injury. Uh, Key things to listen for, um, during a secondary survey is, does the patient have any allergies? Are there any key medications in a medication history that you should be worried about for your trauma patient? Um, for past medical history, is there anything there that could be contraindicated to the medications you want to use? I remember having a case of a patient who was um, a bicyclist hit by a car down here in Miami. And with uh, that patient in particular, he had a history of myasthenia gravis. So he had some kind of open fracture from what I remember, and they wanted to use antibiotics. And I had to tell the team that, hold on, let me double check the history of my gravis, which medications are contraindicated, which ones could potentially exacerbate his myasthenia gravis. And that was really cool to be able to bring that to the team and bring them that information for that patient. Absolutely, man. That's pretty cool. And within all trauma, I think one of the things that we can say that's kind of the appeal of being at a trauma center and something that kind of definitely gets your blood blood going is like hemorrhagic resuscitation. You know, patients lose right, blood, yeah. there's a ton of stuff going on, there's blood everywhere. The, the classic scene that we see on TV shows and stuff like that is like a completely bloody room and you're just involved in there. So can you discuss hemorrhagic resuscitation and particularly like a pharmacist's role within that? Because I think a lot of time people get in their heads like, oh, blood, 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 blood. But there's some key things we can do in the backhand as well. No, absolutely. Uh, we can. So there's a, uh, for massive transfusion protocol, pharmacists have an integral role in these patients. So you want to be prepared for complications associated with NTT. And those will be your key aspects of managing the trauma patients who receive multiple blood transfusions. So these patients may suffer from hypocalcemia due to citrate toxicity. So citrates located in blood products and might, may bind with calcium causing this hypocalcemia. So you want to have your calcium replacement ready. So either like calcium gluconate. My rule of thumb usually is have calcium gluconate ready once we start reaching that third or fourth unit of PRBC to the, the, uh, prompt the team say, hey, did you guys want to start replacing calcium at this point for your patient for continuing to give blood and that kind of thing. Patients may also have hyperkalemia as a complication from NTT. And this can be due to the age of the PRBCs used, the rate of infusion, and any underlying renal failure. Sometimes we do get those patients who are on the way to dialysis and 
unfortunately, they get in a motor vehicle collision, they come to the trauma center before they get to their dialysis session. So these patients could be hyperkalemic or patients with severe tissue injury as well can be hyperkalemic. So you, you want to look for any classic EKG uh, changes associated with hyperkalemia, such as the peak T waves or anything like that that may be present. At that point, you just want to treat hyperkalemia like you would treat in a medical patient in, in your regular ER. So those are like the two big signs of electrolyte disturbances that I look for during uh, massive transfusion when we're resuscitating the patient. Another challenge is patients who are on oral anticoagulation that present to the emergency department. So if we do have that, that information, if the patient's on the warfarin or if they're on the, a DOAC, um, know what your protocol is for your center and what medications you have on hand. So for us at our shop, we developed an order set that helps streamline ordering of anticoagulation and reversal strategies based on the medication the patient was taking prior to presentation. So we have case center is our reversal strategy for vitamin K antagonists along Ooh. with vitamin K. And then for uh, factor 10 inhibitors, we also use case entry as well. So like for your um, apixaban or veroxaban, we're going to be using case entry in those patients. Uh, sorry, Indexa, we're not going to be using that right now. <laughs> and then we also have daricizumab, which will be used for debigatory reversal. And there have been times where we used uh, plus minus FIBA in those patients as well that present to our trauma center. So for my role here is I ensure that the correct doses are ordered and then I expedite to the patient's bedside as well and then provide education to the nurse because it doesn't happen often. So when it does happen, I always want to brief the nurse and this is how we administer it. This is what you want to give and any other intricacies associated with the medication. Most pharmacists that's like heavily involved now, this is going to be our bread and butter, you know, being able to expedite these things and kind of give them the bedside. It's always going to be cool. Like anytime I pull out the case central, it's like, oh man, the nurses get all like, so how do I do this? And how do I do that? And right, like, right. I got you, fam. Like, let me go ahead and help you set the pump. You know, one of my shops, I'm a slow push there. So it's just really interesting to see like how we can involve ourselves there. And people don't usually think about like, why is a pharmacist in here with the guys bleeding everywhere? It's like, I got you. I can tell you exactly why. Right. I get that question a lot. Like, why Why does the pharmacist come to trauma? And that's actually one of my favorite questions I get when I come to a trauma is like, oh, let me explain to you why I'm here. And I kind of go down through the list like, well, if your patient decompensates, if your patient's on this, this is what I would do. This is what I would recommend. And they're like, oh, that's absolutely great. And then when I'm not there, they're like, Ruben, we needed you in that trauma, man. Your presence would have been so useful. So it feels really good because we're, we're not a 24-7 service yet. We're striving to get there. Like I'm sure a lot of centers are striving to get there at this point, but it feels awesome when I tell them what I can bring and what I show them. And then when I'm not there, they're like, wow, we really needed that. And that's always up to you walk in the next day. It's like, where were you last night, man? Where were you this time? Yeah. <laughs> so like, that's another key part. But I think something that most pharmacists and I think a lot of the team around us can really appreciate our value is our involvement in antibiotics with open fractures. So can you briefly yeah, just sure. explain like our, your involvement and kind of what's kind of your, how do you facilitate certain things depending on the type of fracture? Absolutely. So with open fractures, it's never just like a, a one and done deal, right? With pharmacists, everything has to be intricate and complicated and an art to what medication we recommend for these patients when they come in. So the open fracture, it really depends on um, where the fracture is located. Is it an extremity versus jaw versus some kind of skull fracture? And if an environment where the fracture occurred. So for us in Miami, we get open fractures that occur in saltwater environments due to 
either a boat accident or a jet ski accident. I've seen patients come in and from a jet ski accident and a patient got hit in the leg. I'll never forget this. One of my first traumas there, they got hit in the leg with the nose of another jet ski and it looked like they had stepped on a mine. So I was like, you know, before you like take in all that and get over the initial shock of what the extremity actually looked like, you have to get into, okay, so what am I going to use now? It's not going to be my normal, you know, first generation stuff with sporn that's usually recommended by guidelines. It's going to be something more because you have to contend with other microbes in the environment, like for us, salt water exposure, so Vibrio, those kinds of things, and what medications I'm going to use for that. So it really depends on where the fracture is and the environment that the fracture occurred in. And then you always want to know what allergies prior to medication administration is another role that pharmacists have in the craziness of the room, just making sure we have that uh, on base. If you didn't hear an allergy, it never hurts to ask to say, hey, what was that patient's allergies again? To make sure and clarify before giving them a medication. In Miami, almost everybody has a penicillin allergy. So letting the team know that you could still use cephalosporins in, in these patients and you can use third generation cephalosporins if need be safely in these patients because the R side chains are different. It can provide that brief little knowledge for them, that knowledge to be and there is little to no risk of cross reactivity. That kind of puts the team at ease and you're still providing the best antibiotics for them for that open fracture. Absolutely, man. I think it's one of the common questions that I probably get asked like every day. It's like, hey, can I use this? Can I use this? And it's like, absolutely, right. man. You can use Recep and use it to to ease your heart and, you know, do not use Zosin for these patients if you don't need to. It's just really just like giving them different opportunities. And it's pretty cool that um, you at your, at your shop, you have all these, you know, these, these different saltwater, freshwater kind of deals going on. And it's like you have to think about something in addition. So add a bonus to what you have. So now that we talked about fractures and, you know, hemorrhagic resuscitation, another component that I really enjoy and I I love to talk back and forth about the evidence behind this is involvement in TBIs, traumatic brain injuries. So please give us a little overview about, you know, your involvement and the different pharmacologic agents that can be used in traumatic brain injuries. Oh, for sure. So when uh, you suspect TBI, so you want to know what the signs and symptoms of a TBI are. Right? You want to know, is the patient posturing? Uh, do they have um, unequal pupils? Is there significant head trauma present? And you want to already, once you see that patient roll in or hear the patient case, you want to be thinking about, okay, what am I going to be using for a TBI? What's available to me? And what's going to be the fastest and best strategy for giving this medication to the patient? So what I generally go for is hypertonic saline in these situations. And for adult patients, we'll do a 250 milliliter bolus of 3%. And I like this because I can give it fast. I don't have to worry about the hemodynamic effects of 3%. I don't need a 0.2 micron filter uh, like I need with mannitol. I don't have to think about a dose really either. I know it's 250. The nurse knows it's 250. We give it boom, and it's done. Whereas man talk, okay, it's one gram per kilo. Well, how much do we think the patient weighs? Okay. So then you have to set up the pump to give you a certain amount of fluid and kind of play with the pump a little bit while like all these things are going on the trauma bay and, you know, people assessing the patient and screaming, you're just trying to think about the dose and getting it done with hypertonic ceiling. I already know 250 bolus, let's give it and I'm done. Another thing is, is for these patients, they often get intubated as well and making sure that you have the proper sedation analgesia on board after they're intubated to help keep and maintain and control that intracranial pressure. 
I get a rush anytime I can pull out the, hey, you guys want hypertonic? You're like, yeah, absolutely. And you just get that right, stuff going right, on. For sure. And it's like, you don't have to get a filter. Like they ask all these questions like, fam, just hook this up, you know, let that go, let that 250 go. And we'll be good to go. Like, let's just get this going as we're going to CT. And like my favorite scene is like, we're rolling the CT. And I'm like, don't, don't stop for me. I'm going to hook the hypertonic up and everything as we're rolling. I'll make sure to have anesthesia. Right. Just like, let's get the CT. Let's get to the OR. Like, let's not hold up. I got your meds. And that's like a, a, a key thing that I love to do, especially when I'm, when I'm down in Atlanta, man, it's been pretty cool. So oh, absolutely, man. Now we, we kind of talk about a ton of different topics. And I think that's like the core, I would say, of uh, the things we see from a, a, a trauma perspective. But for those who are like, again, we talked about it before, for those who didn't train that way. But like for all of us and mm-hmm. those who don't respond as much, what advice do you have for these new practitioners that are going to uh, going to traumas that didn't necessarily train at a trauma center? And what can we do to kind of prepare ourselves a little bit more to be as good as you are when, when you respond to these? Right. So one thing is be open to learning new aspects of care you didn't know before at your previous hospital or, or you previously trained. So learn from your nurses and physicians that lead the traumas. Learn what medications they routinely use and learn know the medications that you want to use, too, and make sure you keep up with the guidelines that come out and those types of things. So you also want to do all the little things associated with traumas and patient care. So get get the warm blankets, help expose patients, show up for every trauma. You know, you got to show them how much you care and then the team will appreciate appreciate and value how much you know as well at that point. Now, there are times where I feel like patient is agitated because maybe due to a, a traumatic brain injury and I'm holding down legs, uh, helping expose patients, those types of things while we're discussing the plan at the same time. So I can have someone take over holding on the patient and I can run it and help with the meds and then come back to the room. Something that's foundational to ED pharmacy in general. I tell people all the time, like I'm a team player first and I'm a, I'm a pharmacist. Like I, I can help right, you right. do what you need to do. But at the same time, in my head, I'm thinking drugs like 24 seven. I'm taking where's this drug? What are they going to need? What's the dose? How to give it? But at the same time, like right. I'm getting that blanket. I'm making sure I get you the the, um, the needle that you need for your for your, your life saving Tdap and just like the simple things. And what, one uh, thing that I teach also like students and uh, PGY ones and PGY twos is when you have that time to go get that blanket, right? And you have that time to go and walk to the your pixels or army so to get that medication. During that time, you're thinking about your plan consistently, right? You're always thinking, okay, so I'm going to give this man, this is what my expected outcome is, and this is what I want to do next. And you always want to anticipate. And while you're thinking about it, you always want to have a plan B and a plan C and a plan D to back up what your plan A is supposed to be. Because sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You need to have a backup plan. And you always need to have something for the team to, to give to them. One of the questions that a, a few people asked me, and I was like, I have a few cases that were pretty cool, but from someone who's been doing this for a little while and who's doing it at a center as busy as you are down in Jackson. So what's the most interesting trauma that you've been part of? Oh man, this is like the best and the worst question that I always get. Cause I always like think of like, or I have like a top three cases that I always think. And then like, a day later, I'm like, oh, man, I should have said this case, too. Oh, I should have said this case, too. <laughs> but, uh, there, there, yeah, there, there's so many. Um, a couple that I remember, there was a, a motorcycle crash where he was initially agitated. He was a big, big dude, six-something, 200-pound guy. 
And um, so we're holding them down. Anesthesia at the head of the bed. You know, they're, they're doing the fast and all that. And, I, and I'm holding the arm for for the nurse to get the IV. And we, we finally get the IV. And I hear the, and the attending of anesthesia at the head of the bed screaming, massive hemoptysis. And the guys just start throwing up everywhere. So we had to cry them right away. Oh, man. And then, and then on top of it, this is a crazy situation. And then he goes into arrest, and then we bring him back, and then we have to put him on ECMO. And it was just a, a, <laughs> wow. a crazy, crazy case. Um, the the first day, another case, the first day I used um, Praxmine, I used it twice in the same day. <laughs> so I used it in the mania. It was uh, this uh, beautiful, sweetest old lady that fell. And she had like this this tiny bleed. Uh, she she's she was on to bigger train at home. We're like, all right, we're gonna use Paxmine. We got our appropriate labs. I was excited to use it. Educated the team real quick. Bam! Like ten minutes later, I get a call from one of the residents rotating in the trauma center, and they're like, "Hey, we need Paxmine over here." <laughs> and I was like, "No, you you guys are kidding, right? Because we just used it." They're like, "No, no." And it was like this truck driver who got in this trauma. And then we finally figured out through doing a medication history that he was on dobigatrin at home with this massive head injury. So we used uh, Praxmine then with fever. And that was one of the more interesting cases I remember too, just that day being, this is the first day I've ever used it. And I'm already using it twice, <laughs> making sure I have all the appropriate labs and everything. And then another one was, uh, see, I could go all day. <laughs> How much time is left in the pocket? Oh, and another one was a, <laughs> was a, a broke propeller injury. Where the guy, they, he was like a scooping run from scene, and they're still covered in like beach towels and stuff from the scene, uh, from the incident. And he came in on his stomach. And then when we uncovered the beach towels and everything, the propeller had gotten everything from like his quads all the way up to the middle of this poor patient's back. Oh, and I'm um, just, I was holding the patient's legs and like thinking about antibiotics stabilizing the patient and it was just a, a crazy scene and that's something i'll never forget either and then and then and then we'll get like stuff like shark bites here and there and jet ski accidents and, and boat accidents and all that kind of fun stuff and like <laughs> the the gun and knife club stuff absolutely oh, yeah. in, and on the daily but <laughs> it's uh and then and then we're the burn center too so we'll get burned and, yeah this is what i'm talking about like oh yeah there's this case and then Oh yeah, we did like escorados in the bay that one time. <laughs> like, it's like you sit back, like, oh man, oh I just did this, I did that. Oh, this is an average right. day down here. <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm extremely fortunate to be able to practice in the place that I practice. That's for sure. Absolutely, man. So as we get ready to wrap up, I, we can definitely do this all day, but I want to make sure I give you an opportunity to leave any like final thoughts on just pharmacy, any pharmacy, just practicing the ED and just, again, definitely advice to our students, residents, and, you know, other pharmacy practitioners that's out there. Absolutely. So for ED pharmacy practice, man, it's just a, it's a unique world. I, I love uh, pretty much every single aspect of it. You have, you, you treat patients all the way from the ambulatory care side, all the way to the most critical of patients, um, you know, and it, it's uh, amazing and a joy to get to participate in every step of that care as well and every spectrum of that patient care as well. Um, for students that are interested, definitely go do your rotations, um, be there for rotation, be engaged. And for residents, 
PGY1s and PGY2s alike, man. It, it's an amazing place, and it's, it's uh, pretty awesome that we get to participate in this kind of care for these patients. All right, fam, that was a hell of a show, and it was a great episode. Ruben, we thank you for coming on and just dropping straight nuggets on us. And, of course, you're going to be another person who I consider a boss with a whole lot of sauce. So appreciate it for all that. I thank you guys for listening to another episode. Definitely check out the show notes. Check out some of the articles we was talking about today. And visit, visit the website at farmsohard.com or follow us on Twitter, of course, at farmso underscore hard. And we appreciate you guys. If there's any information you guys want to hear, if you guys want to be on the show, definitely just hit us up and we'll make things happen. And always remember, guys, as you're going to class, to work or rotation, anything that you're doing, you don't even have to be a pharmacist. But when you go in, make sure you farm so hard. (laughs) 